Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to another great episode of the podcast. Before we get things started, Katrina, I have some questions for you. First, I'm going to list off some places, and I want you to tell me what they have in common. Thailand, Malaysia, the Netherlands, Indonesia, Czech Republic, New Zealand, Denmark, Laos People's Democratic Republic, Colombia, Nicaragua, Guam, Egypt, Bangladesh, Morocco, Iraq, Iran, and Luxembourg. Are those places that have started listening to us? (laughs) Those are places where we have listeners of the podcast. And that's not even the entire list of countries. We have listeners throughout the entire world. But lately, we have seen a surge of listeners from outside the United States where we are based We've mentioned Thailand before. We've mentioned Turkey before. Another big up-and-comer is Malaysia. We've gotten a big influx of listeners from Malaysia, so we want to welcome you all throughout the whole world. But there is something that's disturbing. Out of the 50 United States, we have listeners in 47 of those states. What are the three, what are three states do you think we don't have any listeners in? Um, oh, Illinois. I'm just joking. I have friends in Illinois, but I don't know if they listen to the podcast. (laughs) So if they do listen to the podcast, they'd probably be like, ouch. We Um, we do have listeners in Illinois. Maine? We have listeners in Maine. Oh, Rhode Island? We have listeners in Rhode Island. Oh, I'm just naming the states that I really don't (laughs) know anything about them. So the three states that we have zero listeners from are Wyoming, North Dakota, and Vermont. Okay, I was so scared you were about to say Nevada. And I was like, ooh, burn. <laughs> Which, you know, it kind of makes sense because those are some of the least populous states. Yeah. I Wyoming, was super excited that we have them in Alaska and Hawaii. But yeah, so Wyoming, North Dakota, and Vermont. So if you, Katrina, or you at home have any friends in Wyoming, North Dakota, or Vermont, send them a link to our podcast and have them over it because nothing would make me happier than to see that entire United States map of listeners completely lit up. Or if you're going on a road trip through one of these places, just download our podcast while you're there because that would make me happy. Another piece of good news, Katrina. Yes. We did it. We did what? We got Disney to remodel Splash Mountain. <laughs> yes. Not it was even all our one podcast. week after we released our episode, they decided, you know what? The fairy tellers, they were right. We got They t- called us on it. <laughs> we we gotta do something. We deserve the credit. <laughs> For this happening. Which makes me, it it feels so good knowing that we were the thing that influenced them the most. Um. <laughs> but I'm, I've thought two things. I'm like, I'm glad we got that episode out before the announcement came out. <laughs> and yeah, two, or else it would have just looked like we were, yeah. I don't know, glomming on to the. I was super excited to see that it was going to be from like Princess and the Frog. Because yes. I love that movie. What I love is that they announced that it's going to be a continuation from the end of the movie, yeah, that that way through the ride, you're going to actually see Tiana 
as like a human being. Yeah. Instead of just portrayed as, as like a frog. Or just like, I would love to just sit on that ride going through the bayou while they're singing going down the bayou. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it does make sense. Like that you'll, you could float through the bayou and go through the scenes there. It's like, it's going to be a perfect match. I think so. I think too. That was cool. And uh, it was cool. They were like, Oh, we've been actually playing this for a long time. Just so you know, <laughs> which I know some people who were like, yeah, right. But they, this isn't the first time where they've received criticism about that. Yeah. And the fact that they said, we've been working on this for a year and our plan is to do this kind of a storyline. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so obviously they have been working on it. Right. It probably just kept taking a backseat to some of the other attractions that they've been adding to. I mean, they like just opened World? up Star Wars. Yeah. That's like beh- there was... been behind schedule with some of their rides opening and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I totally believe that they're like, we have been working on this. We promise. Yeah. I'm like, I believe them. I also, it was funny because... My husband, when he finished listening to our Splash Mountain podcast, he was like, Katrina, I I don't think that Disney is ever going to change it. And so it's just kind of sad how you ended the podcast (laughs) with like, like there's room for growth in all these different industries. And I hope that Disney decides to like just fully sink the Song of the South movie and forget it. He's like, I don't think it's going to happen. And (laughs) so I was glad that it only took one week for me to be like, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I don't, I don't often get to you know kind of prove my husband wrong. So it was quite an occasion. And yeah. So I can't wait to celebrate that one year anniversary of proving him wrong. <laughs> Every year from now until the end of time. Yep, that's my plan. So enough about the past. Now on to our episode this week, which I'm excited about. Yeah, where we'll be talking about the past. Yes. <laughs> Let's move forward so we can go back. So I'm excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about mermaids. A very summery theme. (laughs) Yeah. So about a year ago, a friend of mine was like, hey, Katrina, there's a whole bunch of to do on the Internet right now because Disney just announced that for their live action Little Mermaid, they are going to cast Halle Bailey, Mm -hmm. who is a black woman. Yeah. And the internet was, like, upset. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) uh, Well, half of the internet was super excited. And this is, like, the U.S. internet. Not the... I don't don't know. Everybody else who was, like, (laughs) somewhere else in the world was, was like, our listeners in Malaysia were, like, I didn't know that this was a thing. Um, But anyway, where I was, it was, like, half of the people on the internet were super excited by this casting because Halle Bailey's an excellent singer. And that's basically what the little mermaid needs for casting. But then the other half was upset because they were like, how can a black woman be the little mermaid? Mermaids aren't black. And a friend of mine reached out to me and was like, Katrina, I've been hearing a lot of arguments, fairy tale based arguments. And I know you're into fairy tales. So can you kind of explain your position on this? And I was like, Yeah, I definitely do have a position on this. (laughs) (laughs) And what's weird is that kind of that question kind of indirectly led to the podcast being created. Because I was like, the blog where I would retell fairy tales wasn't really the place to hash out my feelings about mermaids. Right. 
Yeah, it was different like ra- different races of mermaids. Exactly, because the blog was like the retelling aspect of our podcast and only the retelling with like gifts and funny stuff like that. So it was like it was I, I'm, I'm assuming you felt like it's going to be kind of out of place to just make write like an essay about. Yeah. And so instead, I was like calling my friends and lecturing to them. <laughs> Which they were like, maybe this should be a different venue. Uh, and then we created a podcast. Like you were calling them every Friday to discuss a different uh, fairy tale topic. And they're like, you know what? There's a thing that does this automatically and reaches way more people. It's called a podcast. How about you do those and leave me alone? So Halle Bailey being picked to play Ariel on The Little Mermaid is what created this podcast. Because one of the arguments that people had was that they were like, mermaids are a European creation. Therefore, all mermaids should be white. Which, I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial, so I hope that people can kind of like hold on. Um, But mermaids are imaginary. (gasps) And they (laughs) they can be whatever race somebody needs them to be. That's it. I solved racism. <laughs> two two uh, episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I like researched back then, like a year ago, was The Little Mermaid and the history behind like kind of the creation of that story. And that's not what this podcast episode is going to be about at all, even though that is pretty interesting. I wanted to talk about mermaids from different parts of the world. And then kind of indirectly, it turned into the mermaids of the African diaspora, (laughs) which is like, get ready for my lecture series. (laughs) So we've discussed on the podcast before how water spirits, water gods, water fairies, like every culture around the world has them. Yeah. And the reason why they have them is because we need water. So we're always by water. But water is also dangerous. Yeah. And so people need something to warn their children away from the water so they don't drown. But also people need water. And so in mythologies, there's always this like real tension between like water being life-giving and also a place of, yes, life-taking. A deadly force. Yeah. And so the idea that, like, that mermaids are European is kind of just a dumb argument. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you do any kind of just casual look into it, you'll see that, like, water spirits, stuff like that, it's everywhere. So if you want to get a little more nitpicky about saying like, oh, no, but I'm talking about half lady body and half fish body, then stuff starts getting weird (laughs) and real. um, I don't know. It's really interesting how stuff started forming, because if you're looking in Europe, what they have found is that sirens probably like what people are most familiar with hearing, like with like mythology, they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Sirens, Greek mythology. They started off as being half bird, half woman. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so <laughs> if you're thinking like, oh, water, like mermaids, sirens, nope. And from the research that I was doing, even looking into um, medieval art, like in Europe, researchers still don't quite know why it went from depicting them as winged to being more serpent and fish. Fish are the birds of the sea. Yes. (laughs) Mermaids, the chicken of the sea. (laughs) So, oh, and there's also a lot of stories about creatures that they look like an, a full animal, but then they can take off their skin and now they're full human. So they're right. never half. They're like one or the other. They're full like, on both. Yeah. At different times. Yeah. Whether it's stories of them shape-shifting from swans or seals, as in like the selkie. Or frogs. Yeah. And all of them, interestingly, have kind of stories where... If they take off the skin, they look like a human. And if you take away their the like the skin, then you have like control over them and then they find the skin. And it's so interesting because there's so many of those stories of like different animals where it's like, and then the woman took off the skin. Ah, oh, the man hid the skin. Oh, they had babies together. Oh, the woman finds the skin and leaves her husband and children and like abandons them. There's and stories. Even Mario puts on the skin of like a raccoon and he can fly. <laughs> Yes, that's very relevant to what we're talking about. <laughs> Probably it is, though. I think it is, because I think that comes from something in Japanese folklore about oh, a yeah. similar sort of thing of, like, putting on skins and taking off skins or yes. whatever. It's all, there's even Inuit myths of this happening. Yeah, and that's just another crazy phenomenon that, that the skins of animals on top of, like, humans making them transform in between the two is so far-reaching. And it's so interesting because when we were talking about Hassan of Basra and the maiden, the uh, the jinn, that he took her like feather skin and put them back. There's like all these like magical skin things because even in that he got wrapped up in a camel skin to trick something into think. So there's all this like imagery of like yeah. taking off the skin of something to make to turn you into something else. And so then it's fascinating when you find it. Yeah, like in Japan, like Inuit people, it's like everywhere there's this like kind of theme. So you have stories like that. Then you also have water spirits um, or water sprites. And these are like, we talked about Ruselka and Rusalki in Russia. Yeah. And we talked about that in our monsters episode. Yeah. And in that same episode, we talk about, I mean, they're male creatures, but like the Bolto in the Amazon. Yeah. So you have like all of these um, water spirits where they either are like fairies that can either be very helpful or very treacherous, just like water itself. And you also have stories where people are telling their kids not to go to the water because you'll be drowned. And so those are kind of like warning stories. And in those, the character isn't necessarily a mermaid because it's a water spirit. Yeah. And 
in different areas of Africa, you do have stories of gods in the mythology or goddesses in the mythology who are half fish, half human. Mm. And the weirdest mermaid is the like Starbucks logo. Yes. Because she's you are right. got two, 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 two legs, but they're just both fish legs. Yep. And usually she's depicted spreading her legs, like yeah. spreading them to the, like, the side. And so people are mythologists. I was reading about that art in particular in the medieval folklore book. And it was talking about like, they don't know whether that is like something that's sexual or whether like they're not, they're like, why is it always holding its legs like spread apart? Yeah. It's so weird. I just actually Googled it and apparently they're saying like supposedly Starbucks claimed it's derived from a twin tailed siren in an old 16th century Nordic woodcut. Here, I'll grab my my reference for like what I have. This is actually medieval folklore and encyclopedia of myths, legends, tales, beliefs and customs. And under mermaid, it's only in the 12th century did mermaids begin to appear east of the Rhone. And many of these introduced a distinctive new icon, the girdled twin tailed mermaid. With an uplifted tail in each hand, she assumes a spread eagle pose some have interpreted as sexual display. Although these mermaids may appear to continue the tradition of the siren as prostitute, they're apparently derived from images like that preserved in a Roman painting entitled Sirena, Fair Weather, not Siren. Sirena's gesture may well have contributed to the mermaid's reputation as a sexual predator. Indeed, the mirror and comb, a fundamental component of depictions of the Whore of Babylon, did not become a stan standard feature of mermaid iconography until the 14th century. So people have seen that image of like a two-tailed mermaid, but scholars don't really know why. Like why that print was made or even like what that art is necessarily trying to depict. Yeah. And so because it's spread Eagle, it looks like it might be a sexual connotation, but they just don't know. And At least from what I read. around with it on our coffee cups every day. <laughs> so I'm like, if people have heard a different theory about what know. it means, yeah, let us know. That'd be fascinating. So that's some like early art that two tailed, but in South Africa, there has been older mermaid art. So if people look up Karu, K-A-R-O-O, -O, Desert Mermaids, if they look that up, um, they'll find information on these South African mermaids. So they can look up a picture and look at them themselves. Because some scientists have looked at the picture. To me, they fully look like top half is human being, lower half is fish. But there have been other scientists who have looked at that and they've said, oh, they actually, to me, they look more of like a desert swallow, a bird mm -hmm. that has that like forked tail. But to me, the bodies are too elongated and their arms do not look like wings. wings. Yeah. But the reason a lot of people are skeptical about like whether or not they're mermaids is because again, they are in a cave in South Africa and the paintings themselves are thousands of years old. And so people are like, Oh, were there even tales of mermaids back then? And then there are some peep tales of mermaids. 
And then there are some people who actually take this as proof that there might have once been humans that were mermaids because South Africa right now is considered considered the, oh, what is it? The cradle of humanity, not the cradle of civilization is in the fertile crescent, uh-huh. but the earliest homo sapien ancestors have been found in the South Africa region. Wow. And so people have taken this as like, oh, well, maybe these are drawings of people that they knew and when mermaids really were on the earth. That is not something <laughs> that I, I'm like, that's not my kind of science. I know there are people who are in this world who believe that mermaids are real. So they can see that as kind of like evidence that maybe there were real mermaids. And so considering like some of that earliest imagery of mermaids as half human, half fish are seen in Africa, we can't necessarily say that like, oh, mermaids are European. Right. Like... (sighs) There's really, when you look back that far, there's not really proof of that. Especially when you get specific about it having to be, like that your definition of mermaid is half person, half fish. Yeah. Because there's lots of examples of a range of that, like, oh, they just wear the skin of an animal when they take it off, they're fully human. Right. Or they're mythical, or even... That their head is a human head, but then the whole rest of them is a fish. Like, there's a lot of in-between. A lot of variation in-between. Yeah. Um, I have a question about, so, like, in the name, too, like, mermaid, which I don't actually know where that comes from in English. But, you know, when you see, like, a Disney movie or whatever, they're obviously, like, male and female mer folk. Yes. As far as, like, the folklore roots, how does that go into it? Because I know, you know, they talked about something you just were mentioning about how they think it might, maybe it has something to do with sirens and stuff, with which were typically female, um, at least in European folklore. But is there anything about that in the kind of the folklore roots of it, or where does that come into play? So the name mermaid, there are lots of variations on the word, depending on, like, the language and the culture. But Yeah. But most of them, especially... European ones, but also I believe in some Asian countries where they've like recorded like the name, it usually has some kind of connection of sea, water, ocean, something like that. And Mm -hmm. then woman. And so the name mermaid is basically just means like ocean woman. And then there's also like ocean man. And so there's mermen and mermaids, uh, merfolk. So depending on like the language and the country, that's kind of where you get the name from. But even in a story that I'm going to be telling you where it's found in the story itself is found in Brazil, but from Uh, the African diaspora, the name that they've given to like that creature of like the thing that lives in the ocean, oh, humanoid that lives in the ocean is water mother. And so all of the words kind of tie in that idea of like water person, (laughs) whether it's a water man or woman or like creature of the deep. So what I always thought was interesting was it seemed like every story where somebody was talking about like somebody seeing a mermaid, they always, no matter what the thing looked like, they were always like, 
like I saw a mermaid and it's, its top half was a woman. It had huge, ginormous breasts. The rest of it was weird and ugly, but the breasts were spot on <laughs> breasts. And I'm like, why are you saying like, what in the world? And a lot of those stories came up as people were traveling more and more longer and longer voyages on boats. Mm-hmm. So of course you have a lot of those stories in Europe because the Vikings had the technology to of like boat technology to travel farther distances than a lot of other people at the time. Yeah. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that they had a lot of stories about things that they were finding like in the oceans of like other places yeah. or sightings of other things because they were on the ocean for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so what's also interesting to me is how the cultures interpreted these creatures, these merfolk that when like in Europe, a lot of the times if you saw a mermaid, it was tied directly to like good weather or bad weather. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because when you're sailing on something as unpredictable as the ocean, (laughs) you want something that you can be able to tell the, forecast the weather forecast and like looking for signs of stuff be very beneficial yeah and so saying like oh if you see a mermaid that means that you're going to have bad weather if it's if it's swimming away from you it's bad weather but if it's swimming towards you it's going to be good weather Uh uh-huh um or vice versa But then it's interesting to me that then in some of the African mythologies, the mer creature, the like the water person is seen more as something that's very beneficial that yeah. is going to be like really helpful and wonderful to you if you can get those gods or goddesses like on your side. So yeah, it's just interesting how they've all kind of talked about some kind of like humanoid figure in the water. But whether they see it as good or bad is based more around like the area and how that culture felt around water. Uh huh. Interesting. So one thing that I thought would be really fun, uh, cause I always try to pick out stories that maybe people haven't heard before or that would be good to relate to another tale or something. So I found an Anansi story that involves some kind of mer creature. Nice. And so I'm going to have Jeff tell that story. And what's interesting, since it's in Jamaica, they sometimes, some of their stories will be Aunt Nancy stories, but then some of them are a Nancy, but it's spelled a little bit differently. Yeah. And so this one is not an Aunt Nancy story. This one is about a Nancy but a Nancy, I believe in this story, is a person, not a spider. As far as I could tell. Yeah. But I do love that trickster spider person, yep. a Nancy. All right, we ready? Yes. I love the start of this one. This one starts one day at the height of hungry time, which for <laughs> me is all the time. I'm always hungry. But I'm assuming this means, you know, it's just mealtime, maybe lunch. So one day at the height of hungry time, there's a blackbird who has a feeding tree by the sea, and he would go there every single day to eat. 
Well, one day, Anansi comes up to this bird and he's like, hey, Brother Blackbird, please carry me to your feeding tree. And the Blackbird's like, uh, no way, man. You're going to eat all my food. And so Anansi's like, no, 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 no. I promise I won't. Like, we'll just go there and we can share. And Blackbird's like, well, you don't have any wings, so how are you even going to get there? But then I guess Blackbird had this sudden idea. He was like, oh, I'll pluck out some of my feathers. So he plucks out two feathers from his tail, two feathers from his wings, two feathers from his back, and two feathers from his belly and sticks them into Anansi to kind of make wings for Anansi. And so Blackbird and Anansi fly to the sea to find Blackbird's feeding tree. So Blackbird spots a delicious morsel he wants to eat on this tree. I don't know if it's like a seed or a fruit or a bug or whatever, but he goes up to eat it and Nancy's like, oh, wait, wait, that one's for me. He's like, okay. So Blackbird flies off to a new branch and picks out a new thing to eat. And Nancy's like, oh, wait, no, no, that one's for me too. And the Blackbird flies to a third branch. And Nancy's like, no, 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 that one's mine. And this goes on and on and on until Nancy has filled his stomach and the poor Blackbird hasn't really eaten anything. And Nancy is so full, like me after Thanksgiving dinner, he just sits down and passes right out, falling asleep. And so while Nancy's sleeping, Blackbird, who's a little ticked off that Nancy was eating all of his food, plucks up all of his feathers that he had put into Nancy and flies away. So Nancy wakes up, uh, stretches out on that branch of the tree, and he's like, all right, make me fly. But he can't fly because he realizes the feathers that the Blackbird put in him that helped him fly are all gone. So he's like, okay, uh, what else can we do? So he's in it a tree by the sea. So he breaks off a tree branch and throws it down into the water and it floats. So he's like, ah, if the branch can swim, I can probably swim too. So he jumps off of the tree, sails down into the water and starts to sink. Unlike the branch, he does not float. He just starts sinking deeper and deeper into the sea. (laughs) Because he's not made out of tree. That's how science works. It's like, oh, if that branch floats, I'll be able to float too. It's like, no, because you're not made out of tree. (laughs) So he just sinks deeper and deeper and deeper. And when he reaches the bottom of the sea, he meets Sea Mommy, who I'm assuming is the mermaid-like creature in this story. And so Anansi, playing it real cool, is like, oh, hey, how's it going? Um, my mother told me that I had a cousin here down at the bottom of the sea where I totally meant to be and didn't accidentally sink to at all. (laughs) And so the sea mommy's like, well, let's see if we're cousins after all. So sea mommy takes a pan of sand and puts it into a fire and starts heating it up really, really hot until it like, I guess, melts into glass. And so she gives it to a Nancy and is like, Hey, drink this. And then we'll know if we're cousins or not. And Nancy's like, Oh, cousin sea mommy, which you got to admit, he's like playing it up. He's like calling, calling him cousin. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like getting real into it, really committing. <laughs> oh, sea mommy, cousin sea mommy. I don't think it's hot enough yet. It's like, why don't you put it in the sun and make it really, really hot? So we'll know for sure. And so he takes it and he puts it into the sun and I think lets it actually cool down. <laughs> and then he's like, cousin see mommy, I think it's hot enough now. I'm going to drink it. So he's like, okay, well drink it. And then we'll see if we're cousins. So he, he downs the whole thing and apparently is totally fine and ends up spending three days at the bottom of the sea. And after those three days, see mommy comes to him. And I think, um, Nancy had maybe worn out his welcome a little bit. Cause she's like, so, uh, when are you going to get out of here? <laughs> and Nancy's like, Oh, cousin Sea Mommy, just send one of your sons to carry me back to land and I'll be gone. So Sea Mommy gets her son, Trapong, to go with Anansi and guide him back to land. 
And so they head off into the middle of the sea. And while Trapong and Anansi are like, they make it like to the middle of the sea, pretty good ways away. Simami calls out to them and says, Trapong, bring that stranger and come back here. Which I thought was funny that she called him stranger. And he's always like, cousin, cousin, cousin. And she's like, bring the stranger and come back here. <laughs> and so Trapong's like, uh, brother Anansi, stop. I, th- I think I hear my mom calling me back. And Anansi's like, nah, let's just keep going. We're out in the middle of the ocean. And so Trapong sailed with Anansi to the shore. So when they get to the shore, Anansi's like, hey, brother Trapong, do me a favor. You know, take this bag. I'm going to climb inside and I want you to see how much I weigh. So they're like, uh, okay. Anansi climbs in. Trapong lifts it up. He's like, wow, Anansi, you're really heavy. And so Anansi's like, okay, cool. Uh, cool, 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 cool. Um, how about now you get in the bag and I'll see how much you weigh. And so Trapong's <laughs> like, uh, all right. So he climbs into the bag. And Anansi starts tying up the bag and he ties it up really, really tight. And Trapong's like, oh, brother Anansi, you're tying me up way too tight. And Anansi's like, oh, you don't want me to tie you in the bag so I can see how heavy you are? And Trapong's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, am I heavy or, or not? And Anansi's like, oh, yeah, you're heavy, all right. And you're light, but you're heavy enough for my wife's pot. And so Anansi takes him back to his house and has his wife cook him and they eat him. <laughs> The end. (laughs) I enjoyed making you tell the dark story this time. That's not the way I expected the story to go. (laughs) It's like, oh, and it ends with eating a mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, it's not like it came out of the blue because in this story, Anansi is quite the trickster and quite the jerk because he like makes the blackbird take him to his tree and then like eats all of his food there. You know? And they did say the story started at hungry time. So maybe yeah. all time is hungry time. <laughs> when you're a giant half man, half spider or just a man in this case, maybe. Yeah. So that story was recorded in 1907 for anyone who's interested in a book called Jamaican Song and Story, Anansi Stories, Digging Sings, Ring Tunes, and Dancing Tunes. Nice. So that's the full title of that book. Man, brevity, people. 1907. When I look at stories that were recorded in, like, the 1800s, the 1900s, a lot of the times, if the story is from anywhere besides Europe, they're always trying to figure out, like, how did these people get this story from Europe? Because it includes a creature that's, like, similar to European folklore. Yeah. And I find that super frustrating. But we had talked about that in the last episode, that people just did not think that the stories of the people from the African diaspora could have possibly come from Africa. Yeah. which I. It boggles the mind, Jeffrey. It boggles the mind. <laughs> like, you would think that that would be obvious, but... Yeah, like that they would go the the easiest mental route backwards. Because it's like, we knew that where these people came from. So yeah. why wouldn't you check there first? Like, why would they be like, oh, these must be stories that they borrowed from all these other... Like, no, 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 no. Because it's not like, you know, when people are doing comparative mythology and they're talking about, like, land bridges and, like, oh, how this story might have been thousands of years old during the last Ice Age because that's when there was a land bridge and yeah. that's how people... over. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not even that complicated. We know when these people were taken from their country <laughs> yeah. and we know where they were taken from. So it's, it shouldn't be that hard to trace their story back to Africa. But people thought 
Like a lot of work hadn't been done to record yeah. African stories. And so a lot of people just thought like, oh, this story reminds me of a creature or a story that I heard when I w was younger from Europe that has European roots. Therefore, the story must have like European roots. Yeah. If, if there is a um, mermaid creature. It's indicative too of their mindset, you know, like of the time. Yeah. So that is a story that was from Jamaica. And I have a story that is from Brazil, but it's Afro Brazil, meaning African Brazilian <laughs> for people who don't know. And so people were kind of tempted to like look at this story and say, oh, maybe they got this plot line from the Portuguese that were in the area because that, you know, directly takes it back to Europe yeah. by just being like, oh, this must be Portuguese. <laughs> but I'll show you how I got back to a different place when I'm done nice. telling the story. I'm excited for both the story and the explanation. <laughs> Okay, so this story is called The Man Who Took a Water Mother for His Bride. So really quickly, water mother is actually a Brazilian word for a mermaid-like creature. Mm -hmm. So in the story, it sounds a lot like she has a human, a fully human body when she's on land, but then is half human, half fish when she's in the water. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still going to call this one a mermaid. But yeah, the term in Brazil is apparently water mother, except that it's in Portuguese. So there once was a man named Domingo, and he was very, very poor, and he lived by a river. He didn't have any family. He like lived in a really small hut, and he could barely produce enough corn in his garden to keep himself alive. So no matter what he did, his crops never really flourished, couldn't really produce a whole lot. And apparently, even though everybody in that area where he lived was also very poor and hard up, he was the poorest of all of them. Oh, man. So early one morning when he went out to pick himself a couple ears of corn in the small garden patch that he had, he realized that some of his corn was missing. And that made him so mad because he had so little to begin with. Yeah, it's like, I'm the poorest. Why are people stealing from me? Exactly. So after that happened the first day, he was, you know, frustrated. But after it happened the second day, he was super irate. And he was like, I'm going to catch whoever is stealing <laughs> my corn. So, which I'm like, fair enough. If that's like your one source of food and you're, and you would suspect that your neighbors keep coming in there and stealing your ears of corn. Yeah. So the next day the sun went down and he went out with a knife into his cornfield, which oh, totally man. sounds like a normal thing. to do. <laughs> it's like, that sounds like the beginning of like a horror movie. Yeah. Like he went out with a knife in the middle of his cornfield. So he covered himself in grass and straw so that he could hide from visibility. And he waited the moon moved across the sky. He was starting to get sleepy. And then he heard footsteps moving through his cornfield. And he was back wide awake, ready <laughs> to attack. And so he sat and he listened until he heard somebody crack an ear of corn off of the corn stalk. 
and he sat and he waited, which I was like, why didn't you jump out then? But it's fine because in the story, he sat and he waited <laughs> until he heard them break off another one. Maybe he just wanted to make sure that like what he was hearing was actually somebody instead of one accidentally yeah. breaking off. I'm like, OK, I get it. I get it. So he hears a second ear of corn get snapped off and he jumps out from behind the corn with his knife ready to attack. And what does he see there? A beautiful woman. Yep, of course. He jumps out, and yes, Jeff was right. Beautiful woman. <laughs> this beautiful woman is standing there holding his corn. And he was like, why are you stealing from me? I barely have enough to eat. And she, the beautiful woman, is just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was feeling hungry too, but I didn't know that you were so hard up. I shouldn't have taken this from you. I'm sorry. Oh, nice. Yeah, like she was apologetic. She was like, oh, yeah. my bad. Because uh, she was just coming out of the river. Right. And grabbing some corn before, like, heading back home. I guess she doesn't <laughs> have corn where she lives. Yeah. Which makes sense. Because she lives in the water. <laughs> where corn doesn't grow. <laughs> See, we're learning some agricultural things. <laughs> so anyway, he says, like, oh, I should really punish you. And she says, no, don't punish me. Let me go. I'll go back to the river and I'll just go somewhere else to find my food from now on. And Domingo was like, oh, I guess you could do that. But then in his head, he was also like, but she's pretty hot and I'm by myself. <laughs> and he's like, why should I let you go? And she's like, what would be the good in keeping me? Oh, man. Like, I didn't realize like, he was going to, like, try to kidnap her. I thought he was going to try to, you know, like, woo her or something. No, he like, he is. He's just, like, persuading her. Oh, okay. Because he is, like, why should I? Well, I mean, yeah, saying, <laughs> he's why should I He's got a huge knife, go? yeah. Yeah, he's got a knife, and he's, like, let's engage Why should I let you go? And I'm, like, he's not kidnapping her. They're having a beautiful discussion. You're, like, <laughs> you can't have a beautiful discussion if you're holding a knife telling somebody that you're going to punish them. You're right, Jeff. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> You're like, what kind of beautiful discussions do you have with your husband? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she's like, what would be the good in keeping me here? And he's like, well, I've been kind of lonely and I'd like to have a wife. And she's like, I am a water person. We're not supposed to marry land people. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, you're so beautiful. You're so lovely. Like, you owe me one because you ate some corn. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But he's like, no, you should stay here. Like, we can make it work. And she's like, no, we couldn't make it work. Water people cannot marry land people. And he's like, why not? And she's like, when I was a child, I heard a story about a water mother who married a man. And when she married this man, after a couple of years, he became very abusive to her and mistreated her. And this one day they got in a big fight and he slapped her and she had to leave her children behind and go back to being a water person because he didn't respect her because she was just a lowly water person. And he's like, that won't happen to us. I wouldn't do that. I won't think of you as a lowly water person. I will think of you as anybody else, as a lovely woman, as a beautiful wife. So she does finally agree to marry Domingo. So right after they got married and this water woman started to live with him, his whole life started to turn around. His cornfield started to grow more. He was able to get more goats and cattle because he had more food to feed them and keep them. 
everybody started to praise him in his neighborhood about like, wow, he really turned his life around. Like he's really like doing really well. He's like the, like the best person, like in our whole neighborhood. Um, he bought himself a bigger house, bought more acreage. Everything was looking nice. really, really up for him. So Domingo started to get very full of himself. Oh, come on, Domingo. And he started to think that, you know, maybe he deserves even better. So he started getting really full of himself, hearing all this praise from his neighbors, seeing how successful he had become with everything that had happened to him. And he started to think, you know what? Like, I deserve more. Like, I'm a really arrogant man. So this one night, (laughs) I deserve more. I'm a very arrogant man. (laughs) That's what men think to themselves. Yes, I deserve more. I'm a very arrogant man. (laughs) So one night he was drinking and did not become a better version of himself when he was drinking. Surprise. Surprise. And his wife walked in to give him some food and he started to speak abusively towards her. He was saying, our children have very bad manners. You raise them poorly. That's why they always back talk to their father. That's why they don't work as hard as I want them to. Our kids are really lazy and that's your fault. They have bad manners and that's your fault. This house, it's it's not as upkept as I want it to be because like you're a bad wife who doesn't like do enough around here. So he started to speak very like abusively towards her, but she didn't say anything. She just was like, I'm not even gonna with this man. I'm just like, <laughs> So she just, she didn't say anything. She just got him his dinner, was like, whatever, letting him run his mouth. So he was like, you're such a disrespectful woman. Why don't you speak when you're being spoken to? And she was like, she was not going to say anything. She was just like, <laughs> let this man dig his own grave with his own dumb mouth. So he was like, why don't you speak to me? Why wouldn't you speak to me, woman? And he's like, you know Why? All these things are probably your fault because you're a water woman. (sighs) That's why our kids don't behave. That's why you don't work hard enough. That's why you're being so disrespectful and not saying anything to me. And when he went there, when he decided, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And she's like, "Mm, I told him he would do it. I told him he would. So she did not say anything. But once he took it to that level of you're just a lowly water woman and I'm so much better than you. She turned around, walked out of the house, down into the river, and she went back (laughs) into the river. And he was like, don't go away when I'm talking to you. So he's walking over the wet river, still running his mouth. Oh, geez. And then his kids walk toward the river, (gasps) and he feels his legs get rooted to the ground. Uh Uh-oh. And he can't move. And so he can't run out to his children. And he watches them just disappear into the water. And he's like, oh, no, my family. And then he watches as all of his goats and his cattle walk themselves straight into the river. And he's like, oh, no, all my goats, all my cattle. And then he watches his house start dragging to the (laughs) river and his house goes in the river. He's like, Oh my gosh, my house, my beautiful house that like I built. And then he watches each ear of corn just pluck, pluck, pluck (laughs) off of the plant and drag down into the river. So the whole time he's watching all of these belongings of his just fly down to the river 
and sink to the bottom out of his reach where he cannot get them. And then once the last ear of corn had disappeared under the water, he felt his legs unroot from the ground. And he just sat on the ground and cried because everything that he had ever had was thanks to the woman that he had in his life. But he had abused her and mistreated her. And now he had lost her and all of his fortune forever. Lost everything. I'm like, that's what you get. So we've talked about before how stories about marriage pop up in every culture. And they usually, and the reason why marriage and love relationships pop up in every single culture and all these different stories is because people have been making out with each other since the beginning (laughs) of time. We've been hooking up, forming relationships, whether it's out of love or whether it's out of like a necessity to band together or it's out of uh, trying to set up like power structures and community based on like those love interests. There's always stories like surrounding that like idea. And so this story is definitely a story about uh, spousal abuse. Yeah. (laughs) About just like being grateful. Yeah. For what your spouse brings into your life. And also realizing that like, you can't make it on your own. You're better when you're together. Yeah. So since this is kind of like a love story, you know, it might be tempting to be like, oh, maybe this is like a marriage story that came from Portugal or like somewhere else or whatever. Uh huh. So I decided that I was going to take my research back to Africa to see if I could find some kind of similar either story or characters, something that went back. And so in West Africa, there there's both the Yaraba people and there's Yaraba religion. But uh because it like the religion is part of the people's cultural mythologies. Right, yeah. Is why there's like a religion that's like both of those things. So the Yarbara people have been in the area of West Africa in like Nigeria, Benin, Togo, Ghana. They've been in this area and that's the area where people were captured and then sent to all of these different places that constitute a lot of the African diaspora. And so when I looked into some of their mythology, they have a a water goddess. Sometimes it's a water goddess. Sometimes it's uh-huh. a water god. And sometimes it's androgynous, depending on both the community that is telling the story and the story itself, kind of like what it lends itself to. Uh-huh. So it's an Orisha spirit, which is kind of it's. From what I was reading and my understanding is it's kind of like a uh, it's a god or a goddess, but like a, a lower range than like the high supreme. Oh, yeah. God. Interesting. So from what I researched, the Yaraba mythology, there's one supreme, all powerful being. But then there are children of this being called Orisha spirits. Mm-hmm. So Ulakon is the water spirit that is in charge of the ocean. And specifically what this 
half mort, like half human, half fish, goddess or god, depending on, again, the story. What they are known for is giving great wealth, health, and prosperity to their followers, mm. which is exactly in the story yeah. what the water mother kind of gave just by being the husband to that person. Yeah. He suddenly had all of this like wealth and prosperity. And prosperity. But then yeah. the second that he disrespected that water person, they were like, uh-uh, no, we're yeah. taking it all away. Yeah. And so it's interesting because even though like I haven't found a story necessarily about marrying a person in that story. And again, I could probably do a deep dive for like a month or something and find a bunch of stories maybe. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody does want to do that, if they have like the, um, the time or the desire to kind of look into that. But I thought it was so fascinating that it was like, all I had to do was it was like one step, just be like, let me check and see if in Africa there is an equivalent instead of like, I'm Europeanly minded, I would say. I, I'm a, I'm a Westerner. Yeah. And I understand the inclination to say like, oh, this story reminds me of something I heard that's origins are European. And then to be like, oh, so they must have got this story from Europe. It's like, no, the elements that I'm matching up in my mind might be elements like, oh, a marriage between a regular person and so, uh, a person with like supernatural powers, like a supernatural yeah. being. Because there are lots of stories throughout the world like that because it pops yeah. up in mythologies all the time. Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's important to kind of just check your assumptions because, of course, the first thing that's going to come to mind is – the things it reminds you of and the things it reminds you of the things that are already in your head, the things that you've already experienced or heard. So you're going to immediately go to the stuff that you're familiar with, but then be like, okay, am I thinking that just because it's familiar or because maybe I'm right or, but just to double check, maybe I should go <laughs> and try to explore some more, you know, like yeah. it's not to say that you're, you're wrong when you think those things, but there might be something better. But if you just go with that assumption and you don't try to, explore beyond that just because you think that you're right yeah you may fall into that trap of only going with what you know which just com keeps compounding itself because yeah. you'll keep only drawing it back to the same things that you already know and not learn anything new yeah and i think like that's one thing that i find interesting in this particular like kind of branch of research is that as human beings learn more they find out like how wrong they were about so many different things. Because yeah. I know, you know, if I was born a hundred years ago in 1920, when people were like saying like, oh, these stories obviously have European roots, I wouldn't know any better. I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay, that sounds right. And so at any point, if somebody's like, oh, actually, I found a more compelling theory of how this story got to like this place. It's like, uh, then I want to hear it. I want to yeah. hear the more compelling evidence so that I can change my mind so that I can like readjust my thinking. For sure. And it's easier to do nowadays than it was back then. Cause you think oh, of have been yeah. like, Oh, like 1907 or whatever. If you wanted to connect that story and do the research you've just done, chances are you wouldn't have access to even a book 
that would yeah. have that story. That that story probably wasn't recorded anywhere that you could have gone. The only way you could have figured that out is to be like, I'm going to get on a boat, take several months journey across the ocean to this country where I don't even speak the language to try to find someone that can tell me a story that might be similar, you know, like, yeah, it would have been really difficult. So it kind of makes sense why they would only be able to tie it to things that they already knew because the just the access to information was different than it is where you can just pull yeah. out your phone from your pocket and Google anything and yeah. and have stuff come up. Yeah, because there is just <laughs> so much information that's available where in 1920, 100 years ago, they didn't have the ability to look up stories that like hadn't been recorded yet or hadn't been recorded in a language that they spoke. <laughs> like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have been like, oh, but what if this story actually can be traced back to West Africa? Better get on a boat <laughs> and like interview you, a bunch of people in Nigeria. You really, really, really motivated to yeah. go through all of that. And probably get some kind of grant money so that you could, you know, afford <laughs> live, to yeah. like live to get over there. Take a really long boat trip over to... But that is the cool thing about living in today's age. There's so much access to information. I just know too, like I'm not a fairy tale scholar by any means. The only thing I know about fairy tales, basically I've learned from this podcast, just like you at home. Well, probably people at home have know more than I do, if I'm <laughs> honest. So, but it's interesting, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I would go back to the things that I knew, which were like the big fairy tales that everyone knows. Like, oh, Sleeping Beauty, that's kind of like Beauty and the Beast, that's whatever. But now I'm like, oh, that reminds me of Hassan al Al-Basra, oh, this reminds me of the thing that we talked about in the episode about animal brides. You know, the more I learn, the more I can see connections that make more sense than my initial assumptions would have allowed me to make. Yeah, that is true. So the idea that mermaids belong to any one culture is just so misguided. I love that just like the more that we look like around the world at different topics, the more we can see what themes keep popping up or what like kind of storylines keep appearing. And some of them, you know, some of them researchers are still trying to figure out like, wait, how did this element get all the way over here and coming up with like different theories? Maybe I'm lazy because a lot of the time with those ones that it's like, it's a mystery. I'm like, or maybe... Just human beings are the same everywhere. Because <laughs> it's like the idea of like marriage stories or marriage between a person and a supernatural being. I'm like, yeah, maybe it all comes from one mythology. Maybe it comes from spontaneous imagination, people coming up with different storylines. But when it comes to things like water spirits, like it's really obvious to me that... There's water everywhere. Our relationship with water is complicated. Whether it's people seeing creatures that they're like, I've never seen that before. And it's hard to, we, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast. When it comes to like creatures on land, it's a lot easier to spot them, spot them multiple times and be like, oh, this isn't a mythical creature that I'm seeing in the woods. It's just a bear <laughs> <laughs> or a crane that's like really loud. And, but when it comes to water, when people say, oh, like I, we were out on this boat and something giant beneath us came and it was bumping our boat and before it like disappeared or something like that. And they're like, what if it was 
insert crazy animal <laughs> insert what and it's like we see today on like videos and again because we live in the age that we do where people have technology we see videos all the time where somebody is like like kayaking and there is a big like <laughs> whale migration happening like off of Hawaii or whatever and somebody's you know, just seeing a whale go underneath them in their kayak or their yeah. surfboard or their uh, not their surfboard would be really hard to get that far. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> in different areas of Hawaii, the whale get really close because there are some deep spots off of anyway. Regardless, but we see videos of people having these interactions with animals that they hardly ever see, or even we see videos of giant squid and things like that. Creatures that we do not see that often. Yeah. And it makes sense that people before there was that technology would see some of these creatures, sometimes see them for the first time in that area. So it makes sense that like that people would be making up creatures that live in the deep or these complicated stories about the dangers of water, also the beauties of water, the like enticing features of being in water all over the world. I think regardless of whether or not mermaids belong to one particular culture, one culture thinks that they have more of a claim than another. At this point in human history, I really don't think it matters. These are stories that are relatable no matter what culture you're in. And so it's great that we get to look at them now and even though this story might have been secluded to one area of the world back then now this story can be applicable to everybody thank you for listening to the fairy tellers if you are enjoying what we're doing please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. and misinterpret either what they were seeing or invent something crazy. Oh no, I think my guests are here. Because <laughs> my dog just started Start barking like freaking crazy. F out. So it makes sense to me. Bambi, stop barking. So it makes sense to me. Oh God, that <laughs> <laughs> I'm like quickly trying to finish this up.